Hello and welcome to First Geek 411 Book Club. I'm super excited to be talking about Neil Gaiman's Neverwhere and there's a good chance that I'm so excited I'm gonna forget how to host but we're gonna have fun anyways. <laughs> I'm Shanine and with me I have my mind twin Emma. Hi we think a lot alike because once again, that's one of her questions is one of my favorite <laughs> quotes. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> and Cameron. Hello, hello. I'm excited. This was a new one for me. So. Yay. Same here. Okay. And Chris. I'm just here to offer contrary opinions. Typical. I feel like that could be Naturally. a name tag for Chris. <laughs> like. <laughs> You guys are all agreeing too much. I'm just going to throw this out there. Yeah. Needs more <laughs> squid. All right. So before we get started, you can find us at all the social medias as one geek 411 Let us know if you have any topics you want us to discuss, say hi, or recommend a book for book club. Come chat with us at our Discord server or send us an email at 1stgeek411 at gmail.com. Check out the show notes on our website, onegeek411.com, and catch our regular podcast on Twitch every Monday night at 6.45 Mountain Time, and find videos on our YouTube. Rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and check out our sweet, sweet merch at our Red Bubble store. So, Neverwhere by Neil Gaiman. Here is a quick synopsis. Richard Mayhew inadvertently gets dragged into the mysterious world of London below, where the people who fall through the cracks end up, when he helps an injured girl named Dor. His perfectly normal life suddenly disappears and is now full of magic, assassins, monsters, and angels. He joins Dor in her quest to avenge her family and find his own way back to his world and his life. And... I realized that last book club, when I said that we were going to be reading Neverwhere, basically everything that I said about the book after that was very false. So what'd you say about the book? Just a, just a yeah. total addendum. Um, I need to go back and re-listen <laughs> to that last portion. Well, let me tell you, I said it was not Neil Gaiman's first novel, which like technically it wasn't. His first one was Good Omens with Terry Pratchett, but this was his first solo novel. Yeah. And I said that the BBC miniseries came out in the 70s and it was actually 1996. So. Oh. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> Close. Um, <laughs> I like it. So just don't 20 listen years. to me. And it's a big technology difference there. <laughs> yeah. I have the real facts this time, so. And this is the important one anyways. So, yeah. but yes, so this did actually begin as a BBC miniseries. Um, there is, I have a quote from Neil Gaiman's introduction that says, Neverwhere is a novel began for me as we started making the BBC TV series of the same name, more or less as a way to keep my sanity. With every scene <laughs> that was cut, Every line that vanished, everything that was simply changed, I'd announce, not a problem, I'll put it back in the novel, and thus regain my equilibrium. This went on until the day that the producer came over and said, we're cutting the scene on page 24, and if you say I'll put it back in the novel, I'll kill you. <laughs> After that, I only thought it. 
I enjoyed that. Rightly so. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I have seen the miniseries. You can watch almost all of it on YouTube. Um, there's six parts, and the fourth part is not on YouTube. So <laughs> Why couldn't it be the sixth? <laughs> kind of the worst, but... <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure nothing important happens in the fourth episode. Absolutely not. It's not like all of the major things happening in that episode at Just all. Just the part where he's go- thinking he's going crazy. That's <laughs> yeah, that's all. But I did manage to get it from the library. I want. I was thinking about buying it and then found out it was like $70 and was like, eh. Ooh. maybe not. <laughs> but I got it from the library and it's super cheesy, but I think worth a watch. <laughs> Um, and they also did a radio drama of it in 2013 Has that like includes everyone cool. Yeah. <laughs> James yeah. McAvoy, Natalie Dormer, Christopher Lee, Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh, man. It's fantastic. So it's available on Audible for sure. Yeah. I'm going to be honest. I almost <laughs> just did that when I realized that I read a different or I had previously read a different book. That wasn't this one. I was very close to just doing that and calling it and being like, yeah, this will be fine. It's, it's actually, I, I basically read the book, watched the show and listened to the radio drama all within like a month. Mm-hmm. They're all very close. You could have oh, yeah. gotten away with it. Oh, if only. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's like the one but... time I choose to just actually <laughs> right, the... read the book. <laughs> I know. I'm like, you could have cheated. Yeah. <laughs> So for the first time readers, what are your first impressions? I very much enjoyed it. Um, it was a much more pleasant read than I was expecting. Um, I was thinking about it on Tuesday after I finished it, I think it was. And I came up with a statement to summarize it as a complicated story that benefits from a simplistic writing style. So that is my very brief synopsis and summary of very written very well (laughs) and benefits from being simple. I agree. I really liked this. I don't, I don't think that it's anything necessarily like insane, like literary wise. Um, But it definitely kept me engaged the whole time. Um, I really enjoyed the characters and I really enjoyed the humor. Um, and so, yeah, it's one of those things that like, um, I kind of talked about it on the Monday podcast, but like, I was definitely, I definitely enjoyed it a lot. Um, and I was not necessarily expecting, um, to get into it as much as I did. Um, because I tend to not like modern fantasy as much. I say after like, you know, two of my three things were like alternate history takes on modern settings, but like, you know, um, (laughs) But yeah, so I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. I'm not a first-time reader, so. Okay. So <laughs> for those of us who have read this book before, what did you remember about the story? And how was it reading it a second time? Reading it a second, well, t- like third time, like every time I read it, I dislike Richard more and more. Okay. I feel like that's a common occurrence with you, Chris. 
and it's mostly he because just... he would act, he he acts contrary to what I would do. <laughs> Like so often, I'm yeah. just like, you're dumb. But th that's also coming from me, who consumes a lot of isekai <laughs> anime. <laughs> but, yeah. but all in all, like I, I enjoy this, and you know, I, I wish, like, I, I like the concept of, uh, of this second world of London, um. Uh, but, you know, I, I wish, like, every time I read it, it's like, I, I need more details on how this works. <laughs> See, in my opinion, I feel like that's where it benefits. For your first time reading it, yeah, it's great. Save it, save it, save it. Save it. <laughs> read yeah. first impressions. Yeah. <laughs> that's where I think it benefits from. <laughs> well, for me, as I was, like mentioning that I was fully immersed in this story for like a month straight. I remembered pretty much <laughs> all of it, I think. Right. Um, there was one part I forgot that I'll talk about later, but basically all the major points I remembered. So it was obviously a different experience not having like the big reveal stuff at the end, but mm -hmm. I think it was still like the world is so rich that I didn't mind it. Like it didn't feel like it took away from anything really. And I just had a super great time like reading it a second time and noticing all like the foreshadowing things and stuff. Like in the first chapter, the first few chapters, there's all these locations that are mentioned and I'm sitting there like, <gasps> <gasps> like, Earl's Court and Marble Arch and Black Friars and Angel and Old Bailey and Hammersmith and Shepherd's Bush and Islington and Knightsbridge. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and um, I also noticed this time through that it both begins and ends with an old woman and an umbrella. Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fascinating. I thought that was interesting. Bit of a circle plot there. And yeah, I just, as a writer, super appreciated Gaiman's craft and language magic the whole yeah. time. Like, I just read a sentence and I'm like, that was a really good sentence. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was really fun reading it a second time. Um, at this point, I want everyone to show off your books. So we have a few different covers. Well, a couple. A couple. Yeah, we just, have, two, just two. Yeah, yeah just two. <laughs> two different covers. Yes. Um, for Chris and Cameron, you have illustrated versions. Do you have any favorite illustrations? Um, I think in general, most of them were either like character portraits or these kind of like emphasis things around the sides of the of the text that I thought were really cool in general. Um, like there was definitely some that I really liked. Um, like here's Old Bailey. Um, and it's like, it was just like cool to kind of see this artist's like rendition of what they think the characters would look like, especially with how like 
over the top the characters are. And so I think it was that that's something that like there's not like a specific one that jumps out, but I kind of liked that theme of getting to see those representations. Nice. Yeah, I mean, like, granted, this is an illustrated version, like it's done in such a way that like if you're a power, like if you're just reading, like you don't necessarily pay as much attention to them. It's like they, they are nice little additions, but it's it's kind of like the illustrated versions of, of Lord of the Rings and, and The Hobbit and stuff. It's like, yeah, they're there, but it is still just this artist's por portrayal of of the character. And the, we should mention the artist is Chris Riddell? 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 I don't know. Oh, yeah. He does a lot of illustrations with Neil Gaiman mm -hmm. stuff. He has a cool style. Um, so something I really like the urban fantasy aspect of this book. Like I feel like I haven't read a lot of urban fantasy, but I really like it. And I also like that it's kind of a small scale fantasy story. Like mm -hmm. you don't really, it just seems like this one girl and this one guy, like trying to meet their own goals. Not like, ah, oh, we have to save the whole world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So have it's you read? It's a little snapshot. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Have you read other books like this? I mean, I've read Neil Gaiman before. I, I read Good Omens, which is one of my favorite books. Um, but not... I think this is one of the first sort of urban fantasy books I've ever read. I'm usually either all in or all out. <laughs> but I really enjoyed it. So. I think for me, I've read a couple things like it here and there, um, kind of to what you were saying. This reminded me a lot of um, almost like some of the side movies from like MCU kind of thing where it's like, here's the stakes and the stakes matter, but really they are just kind of, it, it's very much like this character focused story. Um, and so I think in that regard, like that's, I don't think something that we necessarily see a lot in fantasy, but I think it's something fantasy could use a lot more of. And mm -hmm. I think that, I think it's always the like, what's the next big bad? What's the next world ending threat um, yeah. across all genres of fantasy? Um, yeah. And while there definitely would have been problems, like the stakes in this book weren't really even that high should the characters have failed for them. Like, which I think is really interesting. And yet it was still enjoyable. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. it was still gripping, even though it wasn't like, oh, the world's going to end. It was like the way it's written, you're still invested in what's mm -hmm. going on. Harry Potter? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'd say that Harry Potter probably has the closest, like, has urban fantasy characteristics to a good portion of it. Like, obviously, with Diagonal. That's probably the closest I've, I've come to, like, being in the urban fantasy genre are things that have 
those ideas, but not like for sure. Just that, yeah. Yeah, get another hidden world in London and elsewhere. I'm gonna go find all the hidden worlds in London. <laughs> it's very populated. Yes. It's a very popular setting for a hidden world. <laughs> yeah. Mm hmm. Um, yeah, I think the other urban fantasy books that I've read are, I think, Cassandra Clare's like Shadowhunter series. Which she has a few different series in that world. And my favorite ones are like the ones set in Victorian England. To no one's surprise. <laughs> no. What? <laughs> so, what was your favorite part of Neverwhere? I mean, I guess this is more of a technical thing than like specifically, but the way Neil Gaiman described a lot of the settings was pretty fun because it gave some sort of whimsical feeling to the world of London below of like afterwards Richard couldn't say for certain if it was X, Y, or Z but in the moment or whatever just like the way things were described was something I really enjoyed um, but I really like specifically I really enjoyed like that one part where they were going to the museum train stop and he was just like there is no train stop at the museum but there is it was closed <laughs> things like, like that like, just made me ago. hate him though yeah I enjoyed it I'm just like personally. it's like dude it's like what about this has made you realize that this isn't your world anymore <laughs> but no you keep it like no that's not a thing like you've got to realize though that Richard is a very bland personality yes. unlike <laughs> yes. unlike the four of us sitting here he is not a nerd who's into science fiction like he just you wants don't have to, to be his corporate life and is very bland and his fiance like takes him to museums on the weekend there's a difference between being bland and dumb that kind of stuff <laughs> i don't know i think there's a certain level of maybe being in shock and yeah yeah but how long different. before that shock just makes you shut your mouth Eventually, I didn't see like, these people have shown you up, but there's one. Mouth, okay? It's like literally he does eventually shut his mouth and figure it out. Not really. <laughs> I don't have it saved anymore, but there is a quote in this book that says he was beginning to trust his instincts more and accept that the answers that people put in front of him, no matter how unlikely, were in fact the answers right yes so uh, he does uh, come to accept it yes yeah he's just super slow which makes him dumb yeah it's just like it's not like what's his face from ready player one where it's like did these guys ask you no they're leading you the just follow books. shut your mouth and follow because you don't know this world like they do <laughs> there's no 
It's like, stop it, Richard. <laughs> At least he comes to his sensibilities, okay? There are, th <laughs> in this book, there are stupid questions. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> So I'll say Before we hammer me, on Richard anymore. Um, yes. one, one of my favorite parts, um, I really enjoyed the museum. Um, I liked the idea um, and kind of a, however the magic or whatever works, where if you fell through the cracks, you can kind of only be perceived while you're talking to someone and immediately they yeah. forget you. And so I really liked that um, we got to see it with, um, with Jessica in the museum where she's like, wait, why are they here? And is actually able to like point them out. Security gets involved. But then again, as soon as something happens, they immediately forget what all they're doing. And then it's like, oh, why is security in the middle of the floor? Like, I really liked that. No. Um, yeah, I, I thought that that was fun. And it definitely, it went longer than I expected, which I liked. Because up until that point, it's like legitimately been like as soon as somebody turns their back, they completely forget. Mm -hmm. um, so I did like that we kind of got to see kind of the extents of what that could be um, just from like a world building perspective but um, yeah I liked that scene as a whole I, and I liked the tension between Richard and Jess there mm -hmm. my favorite part is definitely the portion where he's going crazy so the whole book got it. <laughs> well I mean like 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 where he's pretty much like he's hallucinating talking to himself talking to Gary talking to like well, talking to him, Gary as himself situation, and he thinks that like, be, like he's pretty much hallucinating all this. It's it's like a trial or whatever, and that was a very nice change of pace because it made for the book so much sense. Like that, based on yeah. everything that's happening, this is the most real reaction that makes sense to me. Like out of everything that yeah. you've been through so far, this makes sense. Your dumb questions, not so much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I agree with everyone so far. I'm just like, yeah, that was great. <laughs> I am going to really quickly sort of peg on to what Chris was just saying in, in my random way of this book was very well paced mm -hmm. of like something I enjoyed I about it. it. It was super well paced. Things happened. They didn't drag and things weren't over like jokes weren't overly done or like different themes weren't overly done and it was super well paced like the the ordeal was in like the perfect spot to sort of change things up a little bit while also sort of cluing you into what was happening inside his head so okay that was just my one extra tidbit very well paced <laughs> which made it very enjoyable Mm -hmm. yeah i really like the market scenes we kind of mm -hmm. get like this concentrated view of the world and like who all is in it and their role in it and just like just the whole cast of everything mm -hmm. i agree all right um besides richard any least favorite parts <laughs> I, I mean, I don't think so for me overall. I mean, I may find a least favorite part if slash when I read it through a second time. But there wasn't, again, unlike with 
Ready Player One and Two, I was never just sitting there going, "Oh come on!" Like <laughs> I was like, "Okay, like I'm feeling this." So there's really nothing that jumps out for me. See, I think my most disappointing part was the battle with the beast. Um, not necessarily that it was bad. It just, it felt like something that should have been a bigger deal. It was anticlimactic. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. <laughs> um, where it's like, this is literally what like Hunter had been building her life towards. And like, I mean, and he kind of goes into it with the writing, but the idea that the dance and the dance ends. And I know it's just kind of one of those that I was just like, well, I feel like maybe we could have been a little bit more prepared for this event. But here we are. So, and again, like I said, I, I say that not to say that it was bad, just that it didn't quite live up to expectations. There are some parts of the book that, like, where that focused, like, when it flashed to Mr. Croup in Bandamar, I'm like, this isn't necessary. I don't care about these guys in that way. Like, like sometimes the flashes are like, ooh, this is a good part of the story. And then other parts, I'm mm -hmm. like, well, that that was that felt unnecessary. Mm -hmm. I think for me, my least favorite part was like the only part of the novel that I forgot about from my first. Reading. <laughs> you looked away <laughs> and it just something. wasn't there anymore. <laughs> um, it was the part with Serpentine, mm, and. Yeah. It's not that it was like uninteresting. Like I like having more characters and more like there's other things going on in London below and stuff like that. But I just like completely forgot about it from my first reading and was like, oh, like, well, I forgot seemed... about it in three weeks until you just mentioned <laughs> it. It seemed <laughs> unnecessary. <laughs> and like she shows up again after the beast fight, but it's just <laughs> kind of like, why are you here? Like it's one of those yeah. that. Um, and that, that was probably my number two least favorite was the stuff with Serpentine. Yeah. Because um, again, it just, it felt, it was interesting world building, but it didn't feel like it mattered. Um, mm -hmm. It's like going back to what you said earlier, Shanine, um, from like the intro. It's like, I see why this would be, that scene in specific, you would cut that from a movie that or from a series, that kind of thing. Um, and that's one of the things that kind of, I thought as I was, I was going through that, which was like, this just feels like it's another stop. Like, like for like in film, this, it felt like something that would be added to give Hunter more depth. It would be, but the only reason -wise, they would add it in a film is for character depth. Yeah. Right. And so that, that, that's definitely how that feels thinking back to it. Also, you had to allude to the spear, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I guess. I, I guess that's it. You know, you could have just revealed it all in that one scene, but. All right. Who were your favorite characters, both major and minor? I liked old Bailey. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. He was a fun, just sort of kooky side character who like just short showed up when the main characters needed him he was just like that one guy that they call upon kind of like a little trolley man <laughs> <laughs> um yeah 
I'm a big fan of the Marquise. The Cabas. The Cabas. And part of it is because I did read the, or, you know, the the rest. Yeah, the short story. Yeah, the little short story. But but also, like, I'm like, this guy's the the man. He knows what's up. Yeah, he's very cool. Training favors. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, I I like I really like the marquee as well, uh, and door. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I really liked. I like it when series give us like a really unique superpower. Because um, you kind of like get that opening idea. Opening doors. Yeah, like like opening and creating doors and all these kind of things. It kind of leaves into the like, well, what could you do with this? Um, whereas I feel like a lot of times when we're so used to like super speed, super strength, that it's just kind of like, cool, you're going to punch something really hard. Got it. Uh, but I really liked that. And I liked that, um, between them, we kind of get this like look into the world where they're not like surprised by things. And I liked that. Like they're, they don't know things and they need to figure it out. But like in general, they're kind of our anchors into the world as a like lived in space. Yeah. That, that like someone as from such an important family as door wouldn't be confused at who this random faction was. She would know. And, and I really liked that. They kind of provided that, that foundation for the novel. Yeah. I for, agree. Like for all the reasons you said, I love Dor. For like a minor character, I really like the anesthesia too. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the disappointing parts of the book, though. It was like, oh, I need to know what happens to her. That could be another like short story. Mm-hmm. Like I, I guess this does go back to like it's a very simplistic in terms of world building. But there are plenty of short stories that he could write that sort of stem off from this. Which he needs that to. It would, yeah. That it would just like... It would be a f- fun to write a collection of short stories that are just sort of branch off from this. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean. Like, I don't need like a ton of like... I don't need to know how like everything works. That's not what I meant when early. Yeah. It's like, I just, I need to know, I need more. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. I'm on the same page as you with that. Like I would, I'm definitely going to read and the Marquis got his coat back. Cause then it's just like, I want to, I want to, I want more. But like, I would definitely enjoy like a collection of short stories four characters like anesthesia and whoever else okay i feel like we have discussed characters that you were supposed to like that you didn't i need to, I, I need to elaborate more though Go on, Chris. Okay, so Richard's the person that you're watching. <laughs> like, he's like the family member that you try to watch a movie with that asks questions throughout the entire thing. It's like, oh, what? Well, if you watch, you'd find out. That's Richard. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like my mom. <laughs> you know, and it's just like, 
and that's really what I want to throw out there. That's why I don't like him, because <laughs> it's like even you're even like the part where he's meeting what's his face, the angel dude. It's like I don't, it interjects I in there. I never believed an angel. Like I refuse to. It's like well, you're dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Like a real angel? It's like, well, so far the the language has not been the barrier here. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely has not been language that's the barrier. Like, everything seems to be on a one-to-one ratio here, so. <laughs> I don't know. I still like Richard. I find his responses incredibly realistic. Yeah. Compared to, like, all other books where they enter a new fantasy world and they're like, oh, cool, a new place. And they just shrug it off. Like, at I first, find it that does. more unbelievable it's... when they just shrug it off and go with it. I don't expect <laughs> him to shrug it off. Like, you know, when he first enters, you know, he's following the Marquise and he's like, it's so, it's deadly. And he's like, oh, and looks down. Like, his reaction's there. Okay. But, but it keeps going, like, through the very end of, like, yeah. pretty much throughout and the and entire thing. And I'll say thing. on it, because like... I think I'm kind of more on Chris's side, but I'll say for me, what it seemed like is that Richard was always trying to correct people and then just kept being wrong compared to being inquisitive about what was happening. Yes. Like, it felt like he he wasn't asking questions. He was just saying, no, there's not a stop at the British Museum. It's like, well, maybe they're it. Like, it's, it's one of those. Um, yeah. And I, I definitely, like, I, I think a lot of series do that very, or for their, like, audience touch base character. They do that. They have them be inquisitive. They have them ask mm-hmm. questions. They have them seek out more knowledge. And Richard, Richard just kind of didn't seem that way. Yeah. Um, but I also, like, I don't, I didn't find him as, like, I don't know if annoying is how Chris would say. I didn't find him as like annoying that way, but uh, there were definitely moments that I'm like, dude, just ask a question. Yeah. Like, just be like, hey, like, I don't get it. Like, I've been here for a week. Like, what's going on? Yeah. (laughs) I know um, Neil Gaiman read the audiobook, like, was the guy who read it. So I'm just curious to like listen to the audiobook and see how he sort of reads it out loud because that may Hmm. like sort of change how some of those moments are interpreted just with tone and inflection as the author is the one reading the reading the thing that he wrote like he may end up presenting it verbally in a way that Mm -hmm. comes across that way but at least in terms of in my head how I was reading it it is like I was just like yeah like I would the same thing um i don't know i still don't agree with chris and cameron i think (laughs) (laughs) i think like on top of just discovering a new world like he's also lost his whole life and i think that that would just be so horribly traumatic and surreal and he's super in denial about all of it and like there's definitely parts where he's like starting to wonder like maybe they know what they're talking about but he just tries to push it from his mind and um like Cameron like what you were saying with him like trying to give his own answers for a lot of Mm -hmm. things instead of asking 
I'm going to jump ahead to one of our later questions because I'm how dare kind you of in charge and <laughs> <laughs> I'm just what like happened? as we're talking about it time to derail this I'm, just I'm not derailing it because I'm steering <laughs> no I think I'm about to no <laughs> can't I'll steer over you um that's why I like to hear Shanine <laughs> so i'm connecting things in my mind as we're talking about it and we'll jump to emma's favorite quote which is repeated several times throughout the book sometimes there is nothing you can do so knowing what we know about richard and who he is what do you think richard actually thinks about this statement I feel like Richard's the type of person that's never tried to control anything in his life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and I'll definitely agree and like piggyback off that. Like, I think Richard in general, um, and, and I, I don't remember the exact times where this came up in the book, but like, just based on what we get from it, Richard, he seems like the person that like, well, there was nothing I could do officer. It just happened. And it's like, well, no, you clearly could have braked or done something or like you could have done like taken an action. He, he very much seemed like the, even got like using like his relationship with Jess as an example, like they go to museums every weekend because he won't say that he doesn't like doing that. Yeah. He just coasts. Like yeah. he's like, there's nothing you can do. It's like, well, you could very easily. There is. Just, yeah, John Mulaney, I was over <laughs> on the bench. <laughs> I was on the bench. And you didn't help. But I was on was the bench. over on the bench. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's engaged to someone that he doesn't really seem to get along with even. Right. Like, and who also doesn't seem to like him. So it's like a bit on one of those. It's on yeah. both of them. <laughs> yeah. Not going to lie, well, though. Like, do, I, like, I like yeah. Jess. <laughs> But you do see that sort of at the end, though, where he does start to take charge, where mm -hmm. she's, I don't want to say comes crawling back, because she doesn't really come crawling back, but she's like, she didn't know what happened. Maybe we can, <laughs> maybe we can try again. And he's just like, no, we're not going to yeah. try again. <laughs> like, and let's face it, Jess is the real winner because of that. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I think Richard starts out very much as someone who's just letting life happen to him. Mm -hmm. He's and... a follower. He's very much a yeah. follower. Like there's parts in the book, like are especially like after all the events and everything, he's like still bent on returning. It's like it's like throughout all of this, like people ask like who your friends are and stuff. And he's like, well, I've got Gary, kind of. Gary, Gary, my friend. No, just like, I'm, I'm, I'm. yeah. It's just like. But he's still. They he's, give me trolls. The still, people at the office give me a little trolls. Still wants to get back to it, and it talks about it's like, well, yeah. there are those who have tried to return and like live a half life. It's like, Richard, you're already living a half life. Sorry, dude. And like, and I mean, just to build <laughs> off that, like, he gets a key to literal reality, and he and just he, wants to go home. And he just makes himself a partner at the firm. <laughs> like he's not even like in charge. He's just a partner. Um, that that very much reminded me of there's a scene in um, Scrubs, for that's that's one of JD's fantasies, um, and the line Turk says, um, "Holy inferiority complex, Batman." Oh no, JD says to Turk, "Holy inferiority complex, Batman." I'm the sidekick in my own fantasy. 
And it's like, that's very much how Richard felt where like, he's just, well, I guess I'll just be the site. I'll just help. But not even like really help, but just kind of be here. I was yeah. present. I showed up. I was over <laughs> on the bench. That <laughs> <laughs> millennia is so quotable. Mm-hmm. Okay, in regards to sometimes there's nothing you can do, what do you think Gaiman thinks about this statement? I think at least in terms of some of this other stuff of his that I've read, I feel like for Gaiman, like it's, it's sort of the opposite of there's always something you can do. It may not be a solution to the problem, but you can always go help the person over on the side who got injured. Like, get off the bench! <laughs> get off the bench! There's always something to do. Like, um, there's never nothing to do. There's always something to do. Just sort of, I mean, that's also just thinking of his vast collection of books in general and what I know of them as well as sort of the conclusion of this one. Like, I do feel like, I mean, I don't want to put words in the mouth of a man I've never spoken with a so day in my far. life. So far. <laughs> but, you know, it'd be great if that were to change. I'm tweeting uh, him right now. <laughs> please, let me Adam come in the call. Adam in the world. Please. Oh, he's available. I love your stuff. Give me just a moment. I just sent him a, sent him a link. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> That's what I forgot. That's what I've been planning these three <laughs> weeks, guys. Ta da! No, I'm just kidding. Wow. I, I really appreciate it, Chris. Um, me. But <laughs> hey, if I ever do actually work with him, I will um, try and scrounge something up for you, Shanine. I would cry. I would cry. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do. Shanine, think... you're supposed to be hosting this. <laughs> 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 yeah that can't i'll circle back around for you <laughs> my basic conclusion is i feel like gaiman's thought is there's always something to do and get off the bench and go do it <laughs> you can be a lowly basic company man mm. who ends up in in the underground and you're going to go do something about it. I feel like if he thought that sometimes things just happen, he wouldn't be a very good writer. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, that does not write a good book. <laughs> and, and I think that there's plenty of times throughout this book that, you know, there is nothing that Richard could do, but there's yeah. something someone could do. Yeah. And... Um, I feel like that's one of the big things that we see, even at the, the end with the final confrontation of it's like, there, well, there is something Dora can do. Like there's that kind of thing where it's like, um, like one of the things that I was kind of nervous about this book going into it that I really enjoyed was that Richard very much isn't like the knight in shining armor ever. It's, it is really the story about door and the marquee. And really, I mean, and mostly door, but like, um, and I thought that that was really interesting. And I liked that a lot because it's, because we, we don't all get to be the main character, but that doesn't mean that we can't help the main character achieve their goal. 
and whatever. In this case, that's the main on. character was a sub character. <laughs> <She's> like, <laughs> yeah. Sit down. Shut up, like the Marquis asked. <laughs> All right. Any final thoughts on sometimes there's nothing you can do, or did we pretty much cover it? Seems okay. good to me. Hopping back up, who was the best villainous character, in your opinion? I mean, I guess for me, it, it's it's got to be um, um, Croup and what's his face? Vandermeer. Vandermeer. I knew I needed to get like a list of character names just going into this. I knew there's no way I was going to make it through this book. Um, I feel like they were really interesting. I, I liked their take on things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I liked how, how happily evil they were. Yeah. Like they're so unapologetic for who they are. And like, and even a great little relationship. Too. Yeah. They have this, this like great back and forth. Exactly. And I liked that, um, like, even at the end where they get got, like, it's so obvious that it's going to happen just because of how their characters have been built up. It's it's so obvious that they're not going to be, they're not going to trust, like, um, Islington to wait for their reward. They're not going to get it. And it's like, it's so obvious that that's going to lead to their demise. And then it happens and it's like, told you. Uh, and they're just so like delightfully them, and I I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love yeah. that we never really find out like who or what they are. Mm-hmm. Like they've been around for an unknown amount of time, and they're Very not human time. since but... Troy. Well, like are they <laughs> yeah. immortal or are they time travelers? Right. Yeah. Or, or is or, are things or... just timey wimey? Like, like that was one of the things that I was really unsure about too. Like, it's actually, like a, just set in the Doctor Who verse. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> from like a metaphysics standpoint, if it's like, does yeah. time just pass differently in London Underground? And I was like, it I was does, like, yeah. I mean, technically, because it's like day in periods like where he transitions from, you know, night in London uh, mm-hmm. above. I have a quote. <laughs> I have a quote. so this is door speaking there are little bubbles of old time in london where things and places stay the same like bubbles in amber she explained there's a lot of time in london and it has to go somewhere it doesn't all get used up at once and stuff like that are things that i really enjoy from a world building standpoint because that doesn't really say anything but it sounds really cool and really interesting. And I want to know more about that. And so like, that's like, it, it's one of those that makes just enough sense to be great, like world building, but not enough sense to like lead to a plot hole down the road. Like, <laughs> yeah. that kind of, like yeah. you're not, you're not over explaining things. So yeah, your response is basically what Richard's was. Right. <laughs> yeah. That almost made sense. Yeah. One thing I like about Krupp and Vandemar too, is they're, I like, I wouldn't say they're like, completely evil they're just like they're just really good at their job yeah they're just the mercenaries time, they're just, just like they're just i yeah. don't seek to do this someone's paying me and it's great money okay yeah 
a lot of the time when I was reading their sections, I was getting, I guess the vibe is the right word, of, I mean, it was these two characters from this, like, classic literature that you read in English cat class, where one of them has, like, a little mouse that he carries around in his pocket that I think his name is Lenny or something. They they gave me this vibe of these two classic English literature characters that mm-hmm. like are like runaways or whatever. Um that like They're vagrant workers. Don't know any better. Um or like What is it called now? This is why I'm not an English major. <laughs> I will say I almost texted or like messaged Janine and was, was like almost asked if they were animals of mice and men. Like when I first got started, I was like, <laughs> cause like there's so much, but they're like not animal evil. But like, like, yeah. Is that <laughs> what you're referring to of mice and men with George yeah, and, George and, and Lenny? Lenny yeah. keeps accidentally killing things, but he's, he's, he's not smart, but he's kind hearted technically, but ends up getting yeah. put down because he's kind of dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> So it, it it felt kind of like a relationship like that between the two of them, but like they their intentions are a little more like they have intentions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I, I think I... they are very interesting, and like Cameron said, there's a lot of like animal imagery and stuff around them, and like they're they look human but they are very monstery beasty in their behavior mm-hmm. and also mr vandermar is just one that thinks he's smarter than he is <laughs> he's the person that like has the word of the day thing and he seeks to use that word <laughs> you know he's like look how big my vocabulary is it's like okay dude Oh, croup? No. Is it croup? Croup is croup the, was, croup croup is the, is the wordy one. It's the wordy one. Yeah. Oh, Vandemar's. sorry. Mr. Croup, yeah. Vandemar's cool. Like, He's the actual smart one of the two. He's just like, still talking, are we? <laughs> Got <laughs> yeah. things to do. <laughs> also, like, the little bit of spite he has. It's like, why am I pushing the cart? <laughs> <laughs> And you're just sitting there, and you're still talking, and you're just sitting there. And then he takes that out on the cart. I'm like, yeah. Understandable. I don't know why you're still with this guy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I briefly want to talk about names throughout the book, because so many of the names are, like, very on point, but somehow mm-hmm. still don't seem, like, overly cheesy somehow. Yeah. The whole time I was thinking of the Victor Von Doom principle (laughs) from comics, where it's like, if you name your kid Von Doom, that last name's Von Doom, like you're going to be a villain. You put Vaughn in front of anything, you're going to be a villain. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just like, just, that's just how it works. Yeah. For example, we have Dor's family. Um, Her father is Lord Portico. Um, her mother's Portia, her brother is Arch, and her sister is Ingress. 
all different terms for entryways. Entryways. Which raises an interesting question for the mom. Like, I have questions. (laughs) (laughs) Changed her name. Yeah. When you get married, you change your first name. You must have a... (laughs) In this family, this is what we do. (laughs) I mean, they're a royal family. I mean... True. Just throwing that out there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Hunter, we have Mm. is literally named Hunter, which (laughs) and I start to wonder if it's actually her name or just a title that she's come to be known by. I mean, she's been around a while, so. Yes. Yeah. She's as old as her tongue. I liked that line. I'm as old as my tongue, but not as old as my teeth. Or Or a little little younger, older than my teeth. teeth. Yeah. 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 I liked that. Yeah. It's like, thanks for answering my question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We also have brother fuliginous, which means dusty or sooty. And he's one of the black friars. I feel like Neil Gaiman just had a fun time naming the <laughs> characters in this book. Definitely. <laughs> um, and we have Lamia the Velvet, mm-hmm. um, named after a Greek mythological monster. Yeah, that was one of my favorite ones. Uh, I just liked that that was the, again, like knowing what that is, like, oh, this is not working out for you. But it was to what you said earlier. It was a it's a unique enough name, where you oh, or like where I don't necessarily think it's like a, it's not like it was like Gorgon or like Medusa, Medusa. or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's like it is unique enough to where it's not that most common thing, and I really liked that. Half person, half snake, mm-hmm. essentially. Known yeah. for eating children. Specifically. Known for eating children. Also means Richard's a child. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, tiny wimey. Like he might be compared to them. True. Yeah, for for audio listeners, I'll just read this out. Lamia in ancient Greek mythology was a child eating monster and in later tradition was regarded as a type of night hunting spirit. In the earliest stories, Lamia was a beautiful queen of Libya who had an affair with Zeus. Hmm. Who didn't have an affair with Zeus? Right. <laughs> I saw this this meme the other day where it was like Greek mythology or whatever, like this big. Greek mythology of Zeus had just kept to himself. <laughs> it's considerably smaller. <laughs> it's like you're not really a part of uh, Greek mythology until you've slept with Zeus. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> So based on how Gaiman seems to have been using names throughout the book, what do we think of Anesthesia's name? I'm going to be completely honest. I I did not realize that was Anesthesia. (laughs) Like, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. Like I never said it out loud and I did not realize (laughs) that's what it was. Like complete honesty. (laughs) I was just, I was just like, that's a name. And I just kept reading. <laughs> it was too long for me. It was like that new magic card. <laughs> yes. It's like, the new Rakdos magic card, legendary creature. Yeah. Well, that's, that's name. 
but yeah that's great it fit like it helps him with his pain as he gets into the new world <laughs> yeah completely missed that one <laughs> And it just turned out he had surgery. That's all this yeah. was. Yeah. That's that's the real twist. Yeah. He just went twist. out there for a tooth extraction. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I have a quote. I have a quote. <laughs> there was something deeply tribal about the people, Richard decided. He tried to pick out distinct groups. There were the ones who looked like they had escaped from a historical reenactment society, the ones who reminded him of hippies, the albino people in gray clothes and dark glasses, the polished, dangerous ones in smart suits and black gloves, the huge, almost identical women who walked together in twos and threes and nodded when they saw each other, the tangle-haired ones who looked like they probably lived in sewers and who smelled like hell, and a hundred other types and kinds. He was referring to the sewer people later on. <laughs> hey! <laughs> so, in this little snippet here, as well as throughout the whole book, obviously, we're introduced to many different groups of people. Um, which ones were you most intrigued by? Because I found that there were some that I'd read and I'm like, ooh, that's interesting. I wish he would have said more. Like, in general, I feel like that. Because, like, he gives this little thing, like, when in his conversations with Anesthesia about, like, pretty much what this is, is it's for the people who fell through the cracks. And he's like, how do you fall through the cracks? Like, that's one reason why I'm intrigued about Anesthesia. It's like, because she she's the one that specifically mentions it. It's like, yeah, how'd you fall through the cracks? And that group, that whole group even of, like, rat speakers that they call them, like, that was that was a part two that I was just curious about. Like, I want to know more about that. And I think that's something that I love about the book is that he doesn't explain everything. Yeah. Like I find in some books, like they're trying to do world building and they'll just like explain everything because it's all cool. And they like, explain too much. And it's like, yeah. yeah. And this is just like, they're here. Moving on. Yeah. I'm going to make this reference again where ready player one explains too much <laughs> this explains not at all but in a good way it's not a good way because he's not doing more <laughs> disagree i mean he is technically writing a, a seven sisters book or whatever it was um but like that's what i mean like it's like write this story <laughs> Neil? <laughs> it's not their story, though. Yeah. I agree. I really... Um, I'm not me, saying you I need to be the... in this. I'm just saying he needs to write a lot. Of, like, he needs to write more stories for this world. world. Yeah. So... Is what um, I mean. It's like, he didn't need to include it here, but now that he did it this way, he needs to do more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So for the question, I think, for me, it's the Earl. Like they have this magic train that's bigger on the inside. Um, and they kind of, they seem very much as like has been heroes that are still kind of playing, um, heroes. playing heroes. Yeah. And I'm super curious about what all that is like. 
something happened with the marquee that led to the Earl losing an eye and like the Earl's also dealt with Dora's father and like all of these politic type things. Like um, that's definitely that. Like if I had to pick one group, I want like the heyday of the Earl. Yeah. Um, and whatever, like, like what were they fighting? Like, what is this battle? Like, what are these wars? Is it oh, like, what are they fighting over? He's actually like, just having a boar. Yeah. The same boar. It just always gets away. <laughs> the Earl is just Robert Baratheon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of like the velvets. I don't know. They're kind of vampire-y. Yeah, I, I, I thought they were a very fun take on the idea of vampire, of like the, the I want your warmth, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, they definitely picked the right Greek creature to name her after. after. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. The serpentine vibes. (laughs) Cold-blooded. All right. What did you think of the narrator? I'll say, I think Chris said this earlier. I think some of my favorite parts was when the narration jumped and told us about these other things. Yeah. And then also some of my like least favorite parts where it very much seemed like I'm going to go to like a film or like TV show example where it's like, here's the cliffhanger. Now we're going to tell you about something else to make you wait. Like mm-hmm. that kind of thing, or it's like, I didn't tune in for this. <laughs> like that kind of thing of like, this is the episode that I skip when I rewatch. Um, but then again, it's like, it's sometimes those were really cool scenes. Like it's one of those that like, it's, it's, it's very hit or miss there for me. Yeah. With the way it is like, because obviously he wrote this from the miniseries, like it feels like it was written from a miniseries. Yeah. You know, like for me. It's like, let's tell this story. Here's a flashback with this character that gives us all to like to the same point. We're good. And that's that's how it reads. Yeah. For me, overall, I was like, I'm pretty neutral on Richard. Like he works well in the role that he has. But I don't like I'm not overly attached to him as a like a character, but I'm also just not like I hate him or whatever. I'm just like he was a good character for the narrator role, and it was fun to read the story from the context of someone who's not technically the main character of the story. Like for the sake of this book, he is, but for the story in of and of itself like we were saying earlier door and the marquee are the main characters like it's their issue that they're trying to fix but he he suited the narrator role pretty well coming in from an outside perspective mm-hmm. i wish the story would have happened to jess instead <laughs> I mean, she could definitely 
she would have been much some, better at some life. talking to um <laughs> she could do with some uh getting her life and the way she treats people fixed but but i mean also like in the overall theme of the story like we don't know how she would actually react to someone bleeding in the streets like because she is from London above. Like, we're still trying to figure out how come he gets to react and gets, like, this strong... Um, which it alludes to at the beginning with the old lady with the umbrella. Um, but, you know, it, it's... It's not blatant to her. Like, and we know that. We know that she, her attention's not completely there because... Door is not from London above. So we, like, I know, like, it at the point we see that, it paints her in this kind of negative light, but, like, when we see it in the, her in the museum at the same time, it's like, well, we don't, we don't, like, it, it's, it's more so a circumstantial reaction than, it's like we don't understand yeah. exactly what she's experiencing there other than she's trying to get her fiance to this event. And mm -hmm. there's something that like when she lets her mind wander is no longer the center of there. her attention yeah. because it's it's that's the way her interaction with people from from this secondary world operate. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of which, we'll jump ahead a little bit again. Why do you think Richard could see Dor? I think that goes back to what we were saying a little bit earlier, where up to the point in which he like finds Dor, he's already living sort of a half life in some ways. Of like, he's 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 already living in some ways in that under world while existing in the London above like he's just posting and already in some ways mentally is just not there in in, in the sense of like he's not in he's not loving the life that he's living and I agree I believe he made that reservation <laughs> I do. Yeah. I mean, and I think to, I mean, to go very hard on the name imagery, um, I think he was looking for a way out. Like he was looking for a door, like, mm -hmm. and like he was looking for something that wasn't already in front of him. And then when it showed up, he was able to see it. I think he was cursed by the woman with the, that he, he gave the umbrella to. Mm. <laughs> So that's why you don't get your fortune read. <laughs> Rookie mistake. Well, so other than being cursed, I don't disagree with what you guys are saying, but I am going to take it in a completely different direction <laughs> and say that okay. I think that this is almost more of a chosen one trope without being explicit about it. Um. They picked wrong. <laughs> I have I have reasons. Um, when they're with Serpentine, she calls, she says to Dor that he's your hero. Um, 
she says he has the look of a hero about him in his eyes. Like we look at Richard and we don't necessarily see like the hero type, but apparently he is. And um, maybe he turns think, into it. We don't know what happens when he carves that door in the wall, I guess. I'm not done. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> and he's having all these like premonitions about the beast and stuff and is the one who kills it. And he suddenly becomes known as the warrior. Mm-hmm. I think in the same way that Hunter is known as Hunter. Mm-hmm. And somehow that's just a role that people are not surprised that he's in all of a sudden. So it's almost, mm-hmm. I don't know, there was a prophecy that no one talked about, but it was there. Hmm. I mean, I'd agree. Yeah, I mean, even and it even going off that too, it, it builds off the like, door just needs a door to anyone who can help her. And she doesn't know where she's going, but she comes, she falls in front of Richard. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's very much that like, again, that like that chosen one of like, well, I just happened to fall in front of the one person that could see me. Right. And even with the old lady, like obviously in the prologue, you know, no London, well, there ain't no London I've ever seen. <laughs> kind of situation where it's like obviously like there's a lot of questions about like providence in this world and and that it starts off like literally it's like okay and then you know he lives three years here and then all this stuff starts happening right so did you find the world and the characters believable Yeah. Because it was so simplistic. In the way that, like, Neil Gaiman didn't over-explain, or even explain, mm-hmm. in some cases. It was just like, yeah, this is the thing that's happening, and it's going to happen. Even though Richard, as the narrator, sort of fought against that, like, as the author, he was just like, it's going to happen, and mm-hmm. I'm not going to, like, throw in any details i can definitely it. use a kraken in the sewers though yes <laughs> actually that would like if honestly if a kraken were to show up in the sewers i would have been like yeah okay this that is, works it, it, it would have just solidified the world i'd be on my next flight to to london i'm gonna go find this kraken. Yeah. honestly um, though like I would, like i actually would have been like yeah okay i can i can go along with that <laughs> I mean, I think it was so easily believable because he was building off of well-known places mm-hmm. already and just like adding a little bit of a magical twist to it. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, with the Mind the Gap, mm-hmm. how like everyone knows Mind Gap. Yeah. But suddenly and then you've got the little tentacles that come in, out from in the London gap. below. It's a bit more of a serious yeah, problem. Like, actually, <laughs> Mind the Gap. What the signs say? Like- <laughs> yeah and i'll say for me going back to to what we talked about earlier with the with time like it's one of those that it's it's explained just enough to be like yeah okay um but it's not explained enough to be like well i have scientific questions about how that would actually work <laughs> yeah 
I think he pulled from like enough of common world lore that made it believable. Like the idea that you know, the big bad is ultimately responsible for Atlantis and you know, pulling like that that revelation is like, okay, just enough of like but also yeah, and then possibly maybe that's why he carries on Richard's disbelief for so long is to just keep that contrast going um, to create this world, make this world a little more real and saying, well, these things are real, technically. <laughs> and it mentions right. Lucifer. It's got to be real, right? <laughs> so any favorite quotes i mean as mentioned earlier part of my one of my favorite quotes was was mentioned um and so the line that shanine mentioned sometimes there's nothing you can do is mentioned a couple of times throughout the book um but the time it was mentioned that I really enjoy was sort of towards the end where he sort of is, he's back in his normal life and he has this moment where he just sort of suddenly realizes that he can predict his whole life from that point forwards of like, okay, so like Skrill and I from the office are going to fall in love. We're going to get married. We're going to have kids. We're going to like move to this place and like, you know, retire, whatever, yada, yada, yada. And then he just stops and goes, and it would not be a bad life. She knew that too. Sometimes there is nothing you can do. And then he eventually, like in the next in the next couple of pages, ends up going back to London below. Like she, she just like has this breakdown and is like, I don't want a life that's predictable. And he just breaks down and falls through the cracks again. But that was very much like a turning point for him that also just sort of t stood out to me it was simple with three lines or three sentences and two lines and that was that he was just like sometimes there's nothing you can do and then he did something about it he got up off the bench no so. there's a part of me that dislikes that he was able to return yeah like you know making a big deal you know about you know and even door asking him to stay and everything he made the wrong choice and that should have consequences he chose to return to his half friend gary that he kept blowing off for drinks anyway <laughs> you know a he, what's his job in securities he chose to return to securities and, you know, he should be stuck. It's his own fault. The Marquise told him that those who return live half lives. He's now he has to live a half life. <laughs> I'll say for me, uh, some quotes that I really liked. I'm, I'm going to just pick one, but kind of as like a representative of the whole. Um, and I really liked um, Neil's wit 
when it comes to just like how he described people in situations. And so one of them that, that I really enjoyed was, uh, starts with, um, he, Richard began the marquee. Well, you know, to be honest, he seems a little bit dodgy to me. Door stopped. The steps dead ended into a rough brick wall. Mm, she agreed. He's a little bit dodgy in the same way that rats are a little bit covered in fur. And I just like, again, kind of as representative for like the wit as a whole that like, there's some awesome dialogue in this book. Um, and like, it's, it's, it's definitely one of those novels that like, if I was going to write, this is a lot of how I, like Neil writes his characters is how I would want like to represent my yeah. characters. Like I just loved so much of that back and forth. So much of those one liners, so much of like all of that, um, like there are moments that like I legitimately smile when I'm like, this is a very good line. Yeah. And I, I like the interactions, especially with Richard and Dor, because like for whatever reason, he perceives her as like this naive girl and whatever. And so like when he does that regarding uh like the talk about the Marquise, he's like condescending and like kind of patronizing in a way. He's like, I don't know if you've noticed this. And so she's like, yeah, I know. And then, like, all the way through the entire series, like, yeah, I have had my own plan this whole time. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but he, he perceives her as, like, someone, like, and that's probably why he tags along for as long as he does, too, is that he has to protect her just because he found her bleeding when, obviously, really, I don't know what all he did outside of Kill the Beast. Um, but one of my favorite lines also uh, for... For, from the Marquise is when they're getting hiring the bodyguards. And Dor mentioned something's like, well, it doesn't look this yeah. <laughs> look nice. Not as impressive as it looks. <laughs> nice in a bodyguard is about useful as the ability to regurgitate whole lobsters. <laughs> like, yeah. Definitely not. Pretty much. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to share one more. So this is about Hammersmith. Um, Hammersmith enveloped Richard's hand in one, in one several sizes up. His handshake was enthusiastic, but very gentle, as if he had, in the past, had a number of accidents shaking hands and had practiced it until he got it right. I love, and again, I love that. I love yeah. that. Like, that's, that's such a good, like good one-liner great character development and that one little quote like yeah yeah it's so it's good. all you need to like <laughs> i got an image of um hagrid in that moment like yeah. i just mm -hmm. sort of pictured him as a hagrid type character of like definitely very gentle but like you your first impression of him is like you're gonna crush me in an instant if i make you mad but no he's just like you know gonna shake your gentle little hand <laughs> Because I know I can crush it. <laughs> okay, so one more quote to lead us into our next question. Um, this is at the end when he is talking to the woman with the umbrella. Nothing, said Richard. I really don't want anything. Nothing at all. And then he realized how true that was and how dreadful a thing it had become. 
Have you ever got everything you ever wanted and then realized it wasn't what you wanted at all? Have you ever experienced that? Not that I can think of slash remember. But it's a concept I understand. I think one for me, um, it's like the buyer's remorse kind of thing, but it's the like, like I remember like getting my house in Connecticut and I loved having a house, but man, having a house stressed me out. And um, like, it's one of those that's like, you know, in hindsight, I should have just gotten a, a little bit nicer of an apartment and that would have been great. <laughs> like it was one of those that I was ready for like another place. And what I thought I wanted was great, but probably would have been okay with not. That. People get what <laughs> like, they want. But <laughs> what'd you say? If the people get what they want. <laughs> I mean, if what you want is a boring life when after you have a key to all reality. Just, my <laughs> life has been I'll take what I can get. <laughs> that was applying to grad school for me. I'll take what <laughs> I can get. <laughs> I don't know. I think my experience with this is like, it's always, it's not just like, oh, I didn't actually want that. It's like, oh, that was a huge mistake. <laughs> not just do I not want that, but I, now I feel awful. I need no. an example, Janine. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> See, again, world building. Like in the sequel, we can do all this like, character building for Janine for whatever this was <laughs> through flashbacks. Perfect. <laughs> All right. I'm going to pester you every week now. Oh. <laughs> Remember I'm that sorry. time you said something about thinking you getting something that you thought you wanted, but it was a complete mistake? I need to know more. It was too much ice cream. <laughs> every <Okay>. time. <laughs> Story of my life. <laughs> All right, so as we have alluded to before, there are many references to mythology, other stories, etc. cetera. Uh, what stood out to you? One of the things that I kept missing is that it, it field felt field like, wow, it felt like they were very much building up to some like much more like mystical things. So like, even with like the beast at the end, like you're in a maze, there's all of this like Greek imagery, but it's not a minotaur. It's just the, it's just the boar, um, that kind of thing where there was a lot of those kind of jukes and, and kind of, again, even like building back to all the, the animalistic language that's used to describe characters where it's like, is this person part bird? Like, um, and you, I was, it was kind of a lot of that where I kept on expecting more of like, a more hard steer into that, but we just kind of never got there, which is fine. But yeah, because mm. yeah, like a lot of the mythology is like just kind of in passing. <laughs> like these things have happened in the past. <laughs> I do, I do like what they did 
kind of as like a direct allusion to at least Christian elements, like with the fallen Next angel. question, Chris. Say oh. what, 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 this, Like I said, <laughs> what I mentioned about my answers have just sent me. Okay, we'll wait till the next question. But also, now that Cameron's mentioning this stuff, I want to see this animated by Ghibli. That's all I'm saying. My Miyazaki. Like, this would make a great Miyazaki movie. <laughs> I'd be down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's got that, it's got the right sort of casual vibe. Like, the casual vibes fit. Kind of like with um, Totoro, where there's no, like, there's an explanation, but it's just like, it's, it's explained, but it doesn't really go beyond that. It's just like, yeah, it, it happens. And it would just go really well, like, right along those themes of, like, in another world, like, spirited away. Like, you know, like, it's a, it's a, it's a very sim- similar premise, and I think Ghibli would do a good job. Just throwing that out there. Not not really answering that question since you cut me off, but. <laughs> um, yeah, I also like just like when Hunter describes all of the beasts that she's mm-hmm. killed, like the alligator king in the sewers of New York, bear underneath Berlin, the tiger under Calcutta, like all of these mm-hmm. legendary creatures that everyone kind of knows but not real yeah. and i really like that from a world building perspective of this idea of all of these other undergrounds that are all connect like connected somehow and um i thought that that was a really cool piece of world building mm-hmm. again it goes to that idea that like these mythologies are all actually real yeah but when they pass from reality to that mythology, it actually is just taking place in in this realm of our world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then what? One other reference I caught was actually Gaiman referencing another of his works that. I didn't notice the first time through because I hadn't read this other work and it just seemed like a very strange line at the time. And then I read it this time and was like, hold on. I just picture Um, Shanine now, like all Neil's books open. (laughs) And all her notes. Confirm nor deny. (laughs) Got her cork board with the yarn strings. Yeah. Yep, yep. Crack this case <laughs> wide open. <laughs> oh, wait, wait. Was it the reference to Gabriel? It was not. Oh, okay. Um, I don't think it's a spoiler, so I can say it unless anyone has you do strong you. objections. Okay. You're driving this train. <laughs> so at one point, Vandemar is just talking about hurting the marquee, I think. And he says, before you can say Jack Ketch. And if you don't know who Jack Ketch is, that is just a very weird line. And you're like, I guess mm-hmm. Jack Ketch is just something short to say. Um, it is actually the name of the villain in the graveyard book. 
I did think it was just something weird to say. So, yeah. Which makes me a little interested in like, hmm, are we writing from the same universe here? Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm interested. Are we Pixar theory in this? <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> also highly recommend the Graveyard Book. I just, it's, it's one of my personal goals in life to like read eventually all of Neil Gaiman's works. Same. I mean, it's, I'm very much behind right now. I've read like <laughs> 2.5 of his things, <laughs> but yeah, he does have a lot to be fair. <laughs> my, my next one is the ocean at the end of the lane. <gasps> I love that one too. That's the next one that's sitting on my shelf waiting to be read. Oh my gosh, um, it's so good. Yeah. It's so. Dark. Oh, I'm sure. Um, but. And that one's a relatively short one. At least copy, so. Yeah, he packs it in, though. I'm, oh, I'm sure. Just from the synopsis at the back. but. Okay, Chris, you can lead us off. Did you notice any biblical references or theological themes? Like, obviously, we have plenty of biblical references, but as part of that mythos world building, so references Lucifer, Gabriel, um, and, you know, kind of in general, but like fallen angels, like, you know, that the theme of turning bad and they go hard um, and kind of that demonic element. But uh, Yeah, I guess, like, ultimately, this can be, like, an overall allusion to the concept of spiritual warfare. <laughs> like, that there are these things that are happening in <laughs> another realm. I don't know. But it doesn't play off that, like, deeply. Like, it doesn't affect, like, what's happening here doesn't necessarily affect the above world. Unless you fall through the cracks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So a quote that I liked that I saved for this question is um, when the the friars are waiting for the group to show up. And there's a quote of, so the day became one of waiting, which was, he knew, a sin. Moments were to be experienced. Waiting was a sin against both the time that was still to come and the moments one was currently disregarding. Um, so I liked that quote because of how radically I disagree with it. <laughs> Like that's, that's definitely one of those things where it's like the, um, you got to constantly be doing something. It's like, no, sometimes I say as a person who's really bad at this, like sometimes you do need to just sit and wait and be patient. And what? I think that that, like the idea that was representing here is this, like, it's that like, you always have to be in this one moment, but well, that's, I mean, that's not what prayer is. That's not, or not what prayer has to be. Um, that's not what like even something like um, meditation as a whole or patience as a whole or things like that. Um, that was, so that was one that jumped out to me. Um, I don't think that's the point of what the abbot's trying to get at in the, that sense though, that you always have to okay. be doing something. It's that living out of expectation in waiting isn't how is, is the sin. It's like he knows something is coming up and he's waiting for that to happen instead of being present 
And that's what he's alluding to more so than you always have to be doing something. It's that you have to be present and active in, in time because otherwise if you're always living for what's in the future. I think that's more so the point of, of that quote then. I don't see it that way, but I definitely see how you could. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I guess for me, in terms of the whole book, it's, it does seem kind of like, you know, there's these two separate worlds where one sort of almost like you know the whole parallel universe thing where of course the under London below like they can all go up and wander around within the city streets but no one's going to acknowledge them because like the moment you look away like you just sort of forget that they're there um and in some ways you can sort of interpret that as like the Holy Spirit and God is just going to be all around. Like, it's just there. Um, and it's a, simply a matter of acknowledging it. Um, and, like, if you if you go looking for it, you're going to see it. But if you're not looking for it, you're not going to, like, go, oh, like, I can see how that's, like, an act of mercy or um, an act of love, like, if you're not really looking for it, then you're not really going to see it. But you just turn around and you do see it if you're looking for it. So. Okay. I'm, I'm glad you read that quote, Cameron, because I also had it saved for this section. <laughs> so I beat um, you for once on the on the quotes. You did. <laughs> Only been like eight book clubs. <laughs> I do have another quote though. So <laughs> time um, to one up you. <laughs> <laughs> Richard did not believe in angels. He never had believed in angels. He was damned if he was going to start now. Still, it was much easier not to believe in something when it was not actually looking directly at you and saying your name. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just so fascinated in Richard's determination to not believe. I think he's just very stubborn. He's not dumb. He's just very stubborn. Mm -hmm. And when it doesn't fit into his preconceived worldview, he has a very difficult time accepting its existence. I think he just lacks like self-realization for anything. Like, like as I mentioned, he has never taken control of it or done like control of anything in his life. Kind of, so he's like, I found myself in this relationship, and I'm in it. <laughs> She picked out the ring. I guess the most expensive money, most money I've ever spent. It's fine. I have nothing to say about this. (laughs) 
and and so being thrown into this world and now it's like now he's being asked questions that he feels like he has to interject into <laughs> it's like i know things Yeah, I mean, I think it also shows just how difficult a journey belief can be. Yeah. And I think that can connect into with what Emma was saying earlier of that, like, sometimes the, sometimes what you need to do is see the signs that are right in front of you. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's super hard to, to want to look for those sometimes or seriously want to look for those. Uh, like, I know like this kind of like the, the joke of like, God, send me a sign. Okay. God, send me another sign. Okay. I need an, I definitely need a third sign. And it's like that type of thing. That was a little bit, um, yes. a little bit ambiguous. Do you think you could try again? <laughs> exactly. Um, and yeah, I just, I think that there's, there's a lot of that in, in this story. Um, and a lot of that, like, a lot of that quest for meaning comes from trying to figure out like <laughs> what to pay attention to for, for is where I'm at currently with that thought process. Sometimes I start sentences and I don't know where they're going to end. Um, but Thanks Michael Scott. Yeah. <laughs> no, I agree though. Um, so one other religious reference, I guess, that I didn't initially realize was a religious reference, but then I looked it up and I was like, what? Um, the Angelus, which we see in the book as like a carved cathedral door. Um, but I looked it up and it is apparently a Catholic devotion commemorating the incarnation. Hmm. So I don't know if Emma has anything more to say on that. <laughs> I didn't even know that. <laughs> so no. Okay. I just, you would have been the most likely one yeah. to know. So I didn't know. I have no comment <laughs> other than there's a lot of Catholic stuff out there that I don't know much about. So that's fair. <laughs> I feel like no that could more be a than me, though. <laughs> There's a lot of Catholic stuff out there I don't know a lot about. Ask so, me about it today. <laughs> I don't know. I just found that interesting. And I've been... Because I feel like Neil Gaiman didn't name anything arbitrarily. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of wondering what the significance of it is. But I haven't figured anything out necessarily. <laughs> So, something to ponder, maybe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. Did anything else stand out to you? I do have a quote that I meant to mention as one of my favorite quotes that I'm going to mention here. Um, and it was, I think he was talking about, it may have been Hunter, but I don't quite remember. But it's... um. Richard was thunderstruck. It had been like watching Emma Peel, Bruce Lee, and a particularly vicious tornado all rolled into one and sprinkled with a generous helping of footage he had once seen on a wildlife program of a mongoose killing a king cobra. That was how she had moved 
It's just this one long run-on sentence describing something. Um, with a strange combination of things. And it was just like... It, it goes back to what I was saying about the way he describes things within this world. It's just like, I would have never put it that way, but I totally get what what you're saying here. Um, but yeah, it's just another one of my favorite quotes. One thing that kind of stood out to me was like that no one went there with this idea that you know, when Islington, big guy, big bad, um, you know, he's trying to get the key to heaven. It's like, well, what happened if he got there? It's like, you would have taken it. It's over. like, if Lucifer's real and he failed, no, <laughs> no, would he have though? Like, if, if yeah. all this is real, that means yeah. our big numero uno <laughs> still ruling in heaven, what's going to happen if Islington shows up? he's not taking over i promise you <laughs> right he it's would, like he would have all the decisions are take over yeah that's the all thing. the decisions are attempted. inconsequential this is not diablo right. 3 <laughs> right and like and going back to what i said earlier on it's, it's one of the things that's really interesting about the stakes in this book because what are the stakes like really like to to your point there and kind of to like even to kind of the, the more like local things of like what really would have happened had they failed. Um, and I, I do he think it's that, a desk like, job. That's why. Yes. Yeah, I mean, they succeeded and he got a desk job. So like, <laughs> no, I mean, Islington does. He, oh, he okay. ends up back. He's like, it's like, they let you, we're not going to deal with you. You can go sit at, go do the paperwork. Yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. like, Oh man, after all that, that's what, this is what, this is what I'm stuck doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's a very good question because mm -hmm. yeah like yeah what are the actual stakes here it's like yeah i mean like i understand his plan i don't see this working out for him so if i was door i'd be like <laughs> sure go deal with these people <laughs> let's, let's let's see how you're greeted like just like but again it's it goes back to that theme of like the journey of belief it's like it's like yeah like i guess with richard he's new to all these themes it's like yeah I have, like islington's real okay i see him here now okay i understand his plan now don't let him do it instead and Whereas, like, I guess maybe from our point of view, it's like, well, it's like, okay, well, this just solidifies my current belief. <laughs> You're not getting very far, dude. Go, go try. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> Already said a prayer, warned him. You're good. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily think I have anything more to say than, than what we said um i guess kind of with the exception of i wish we would have gotten a bit more of hunter like especially like um janine was streaming on tuesday when i i got to the part where islington was the bad guy and was the one that hired them and then like then there's the second double cross with hunter also being being the bad and that like the motivation just kind of seemed like 
okay, cool. So it's like I can get the spear. It's like, okay. Like, I just wish that that was built out a bit more. It just felt a little short for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, he should, he should have went all out in that triple, like for a triple agent trope. Right. Yeah. And like, yeah, it was just one of those that I was like, I, I really liked Hunter and I would have liked to have had a bit more of buildup for her and a bit more explanation besides the, I want to kill the beast. This is a spear that will help me kill the beast. Yeah. Um, that was kind of my like most sad character moment, I guess. Like I would have, I, I wanted that triple backstab. I got my spear now, now die. <laughs> <laughs> now I got the spear, you're dead. Now I'm going to go kill the beast. To be fair, she is a lot more built out in the book than in the TV series, though. So, oh, that kind of makes me sad. <laughs> I'm researching the series now. I mean, I definitely recommend watching at least like the first episode or two on YouTube. It's I have just, it pulled up. It's so cheesy, you guys. <laughs> oh, and I think I forgot to mention before it has a young Peter Capaldi in it as the bad guy. As Islington. Yeah. That is not a casting I would have expected. No. (laughs) Yeah. It was a surprise. Because he is introduced later, so it makes sense. He's like, (laughs) (laughs) what? Okay. Fun question to end us all off on. What world landmark would you want to go to for the market? So I know this, I remember this being mentioned at some point in the book. I don't know if it was, or I don't remember if it was mentioned as like a place that the market happened, but the Tower of London was mentioned very briefly in passing. And that was a place that I was like, ooh, that would be a fun place to have the market. It was just the Tower of London. Let's go. Underneath this big bell tower. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Parliament. Um, Parliament. 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 Blow it up for Viva Vendetta. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was also something I thought, like, mm-hmm. go have the market at Parliament. And then, uh, yeah, maybe some random guy in a and white mask. Pass to London above. And a guy <laughs> fox mask and. Boom and pass right back. Ta-da! Yes, fingers. <laughs> I think for me, some of the ones are like more of like the very specific parts of things. So like the torch of the Statue of Liberty, things like that. Of mm-hmm. just like what are these super random like locations? Like the bottom of the Empire State Building. Like, like so much, just like the opposite of the queen's bedroom in Buckingham Palace. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Stuff like that. Of like this, like, like, like not just like these, um, not just like the specific like, or the broader locations, but like what are like this the super random things that like you could have yeah. this, um, and like just things like that where it's like obviously you wouldn't be like wouldn't be supposed to be, but like here we are just having this market yeah. with thousands of people like. You also have to give a shout out to just how the market works in general. Like mm-hmm. somebody tells somebody who tells somebody else where the market is. And that person tells somebody who tells somebody who tells somebody. But no one's really certain 
who the first person is who tells somebody else. Who organizes this is like somebody this thing? knows, and <laughs> then it's just like word of mouth, and it's just like. It's, Does anybody ever know, get the wrong knew. <laughs> So it's just like it. Somebody knows, and ask enough people, and you will find out where it is. Mm -hmm. And also that it's not really where it is it's how you get to where it is yeah just that was something i really appreciated it's just like okay i see i see how you're how you're doing this you can't just go around <laughs> <laughs> you have to go over <laughs> All right. And lastly, would you read more by Neil Gaiman? Yes. Definitely. Done and done. Pendo percent. <laughs> Have and will. This is like, what do you think I've been doing this whole time? Yeah. <laughs> Definitely one of my go-to authors. So. He's always releasing something, too. <laughs> yeah. Although I was researching. So, like... The Seven Sisters was announced like in 2017. And then it was supposed to be out like last September. And then like all the orders got canceled. Oh. What are you doing, Neil? Was that? I, I don't know anything about that. Yeah. Where's this book? <laughs> and we haven't like got like any new dates since then. Oh, well. Hmm. Alrighty. Any other final thoughts? Great book club. Yay, book club. Yeah, I'm really excited we did this one. Yeah. But what are we doing for the next one? The next one, we are doing a nonfiction, Not All Who Wander Spiritually Are Lost, A Story of Church by Tracy Rhodes. Has nothing um, to do with Tolkien, though. Sorry, guys. No. Not not directly. Not directly. Um, basically, That's going to be one of my is... gripes. Just throwing that out. She's <laughs> <laughs> prepared to be bitter right from the start. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still going to enjoy it, probably. I'm just going to be like, throwing us out there, need more Tolkien. <laughs> so this is Tracy's experience of basically connecting with Jesus through all different church denominations and traditions, um, kind of, that no denomination has it 100% right, and we can find Jesus in many different church traditions and it's her story of her journey of faith and church as well as some stories from friends as well so that will be on june 24th i'm super excited sounds great um also recommend following tracy on twitter she is just super delightful and leads wonderful conversations 
A lot of the people who follow on Twitter are really wordy to me. <laughs> I bet they really loved when Twitter expanded the character count. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. All right. So thanks for coming and hanging out at Book Club. We are One Geek 411 on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, come chat with us at our Discord server. Uh, check out our Redbubble store. Shoot us an email at 1stgeek411 at gmail.com. And watch live on our Twitch. And find the videos on YouTube. Rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out the website at onegeek411.com. I am the Hoot and Howl on Twitter and Hoot and Howl Tales, T-A-L-E-S, on Instagram. I'm Hima <laughs> I am. I'm not prepared with an I. <laughs> and as always, I'm not so foreign. Read a book. Drink some tea. Wash your hands, please. I love you.